Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by guest speaker, Pastor Jim Baker, about how God is really a good dad who wants his kids to prosper and have more than enough. And how he wants to partner with you and the dreams that he's put on your heart to further his kingdom on earth. Thank you and enjoy the message. You guys ready to have some fun? All right. If you were here Friday, you are going to hear a lot of the same stuff. Pastor Greg asked me to teach the same thing, and so we're going to go for it here. But um, a couple things. It's just really been fun being here. You know, it's it's fun being at a church where it just feels like home. I mean, you guys are after his presence. You're after worship. You're after the whole thing. I said Friday, you know, it's nice being in a church where they're not vampire Christians. See, vampire Christians, they want just enough of the blood to get saved, but not enough to get transformed. And then you guys are going after the whole thing here, man. I'm listening to Pastor Wendy and Pastor Greg. I'm like, man, you guys are going for it. Like, I appreciate a church that's really, uh, they're trying to build big people, not trying to build a big church. It's like, we want to make people amazing. And one of the pictures I saw over you was over a, ham, a hammer and a chisel. You know, you can use people to carve out a great church, or you can use church to carve out a great people. And I see you guys using church to carve out a great people here. And so Mary and I have got some words we'll share uh, after the message here in a little bit. But uh, just to introduce myself a little bit. So uh, my, my wife and I, we pastor a church uh, in Columbus, Ohio. We've been there about 10 years. And uh, in about 2008, we just, uh, and healing just started breaking out at our church. We just saw wonderful, wonderful things happen. Uh, we saw deaf ears open up, blind eyes open up. We had body parts grow back. Um, those, are, those are lots of fun. Um, we had, it's one thing, we got, a, we got a pulpit, it used to be a walker. So whenever I teach in healing, we pull this thing out. This guy had a, um, a cancerous femur bone, and they had to remove his bone and put a titanium rod in place. And he got healed, and the titanium disappeared, and the bone grew back. And so he didn't need the walker anymore. And so they turned it into a pulpit. So it's really pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. We've had uh, 16 people raised from the dead. Yes. Not just sleeping in church. I'm not talking about that. I'm like, like... Like, no pulse. One guy was dead for 16 hours. Um, he died at 7 a.m. He woke up at 11 p.m. And he had to unzip himself from the body bag. Is that insane? I'm like, did he have, like, a loincloth on? Like, to get dressed? Like, what do you do? Like, I'm picturing, like, wiggling his finger in that thing. Like, I, I don't know. I'd like to see the video in heaven on that one. And uh, this, this is not one. We had uh, four dead raisins about the last 15 months. And so two of them were suicides. Uh, one was uh, a flatline, and she was in the ER room, and uh, she heard the code blue. So she, it was our youth pastor. And she went there, and um, she felt like the Lord said, I want you to pray. And so she's praying. There's about 30 people in the room. The thing's flatlining, and they call the time of death, you know. And then she feels like the Lord says, I want you to pray out loud, which that sounds great when you're sitting here, but those hospitals are kind of intimidating environments, you know? And so she's in the back. She's got her hand on one of the family members praying. She says, I rebuke the spirit of death in the name of Jesus, and I command your spirit to come back in your body. And the thing went beep, beep. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, fun stuff. I don't know why people like this next story better than like the humans getting raised from the dead, but this is, uh, I'm just going to tell you how it happened. And so... We had this lady in our church, Sherry. Uh, she, uh, she's just a wonderful lady. And she was down at this part of Columbus called Mexican Town. And so, you know, she's getting some spices and stuff there. And there's this pickup truck parked at this curb, and there's this dog in the back. And the dog jumped out of the truck and got trapped under the truck right as the truck was pulling it away. So the, tr- the owner crushed the, um, the dog, and so it was, you know, splattered. And, and it's, it kind of, like, tore in a little bit. And so the dog's, like, flat as a pancake, and 
is dead and everybody's freaking out. And so, um, so she's kind of watching this scene. And so she goes over and puts her hand kind of over the stain area and says, in the name of Jesus, live. You ready for this? This is what happened. The blood starts licking up off of the cement. The dog reconstitutes itself back together, but it still fires a pancake. Then it inflates and starts barking and runs around as normal. Is that crazy? And so she said people just like were like dumbstruck. They were just like standing there. And so she says, it was Jesus. And so she goes in the store and buys spices and comes out like five minutes later. And she said, people are still standing there just like dumbstruck. So I don't know what to do. We've had HIV healings, hepatitis C, autism, uh, people with scars on their arms from cutting themselves just during worship. God just rebuilds their arms. Just wonderful things. And um, yeah, I know I'm saying these fast, but wow, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah and so, you know, you, you have full permission to get healed anytime during the service or anytime afterwards. You know, you don't, need, you don't need hands laid on you. It doesn't matter who touches you as long as Jesus touches you. You know, and so, yeah, I, I can't go into that. I, I'll end up teaching on healing super fast here. But the reason I'm telling you this is because the Lord told me in 2011, Jim, I want you to go after finances the way that you went after healing. And so to me, it was pretty much an all-out ballistic assault. I did, we didn't know what else to do. So we were just, and we were going after healing so hard. People were leaving the church. They're like, I'm like, why are you leaving? Like, good things are happening, you know? And I'm like, we just can't take it anymore. I'm like, you can't take what? Like, testimonies? I mean, like, I don't know. I don't understand some people, but God bless you, you know? <laughs> As you leave. So uh, anyway, and so um, I, I read about 100 books on finances. I wouldn't normally you know, prep that much for a series, but I just felt like I really needed just to get a foundation. I didn't feel like I really had the foundation that I needed. Listen to a lot of series. And I ended up doing about an 18-part series on finances, which I later found out was the most offensive thing a pastor could do, especially with the name Jim Baker. And so... Um, <laughs> So September through March, taught on finances, and I didn't even begin teaching on giving till about week 13, because if you don't have the heart conditions ready, people use their giving to try to rub the genie bottle to get God to do what they want them to do, where they become the master, and God's their servant. Look, I'm using these principles, and I've seen people, they're trying to like boss God around, and you can put a demand on God and make him do this. It's like, gang, just be careful with that whole thing. I mean, he's, he's your father. And he's big, <laughs> you know, he's awesome and kind, but there's also a holy fear of, wow, he is amazing. So yeah, just, you know, we're, we're here to serve him. And uh, we, we, you know, we get to be part of the family business called the kingdom of God. That's our joy, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just keeping it in perspective. So I ended up writing a book on finances. I didn't even bring it. It's in the, uh, uh, it's, it's in the bookstore. It's called How Heaven Invade Your Finances. It is the best book on finances that I've ever written. And so you guys, uh, I encourage you. And so we, man, God gave us this wonderful breakthrough on finances. We had uh, one-fourth of our church get out of debt in one year, um, including their houses. We had a $3.5 million campus given to us, 40,000 feet on 33 acres. And so, um, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful. So, I mean, furnished, sound system, everything. We didn't have to do anything except uh, I got the phone call, and I think uh, like 18 days later, I was standing in the pulpit as their pastor. I'm like, how does this happen? So... Uh, awesome stuff. We had a five-bedroom house given to us. So we turned into a house for girls coming out of human trafficking. Um, just a couple months ago, we bought a building downtown uh, that basically uh, the business that's below it is paying the mortgage on us. We're not paying anything for this uh, $1.4 million property, which I know that's like, um, like a two-bedroom apartment for you guys here. <laughs> but in Columbus, that's really big, okay? <laughs> like $1.4 million. That's like my closet. Yeah, so I, I get it. So but uh, it, it's, a, it's a row of windows overlooking the state house to release worship and prayer over our city. But then the top two floors are for girls coming out of human trafficking who, once they've 
uh, are clean and sober, they typically don't have any place to go, but they still got PTSD, still lots of problems. So it's a place for them to get restored. So lots of fun stuff. So let me go here. So you're hearing me talking about money and prosperity. So let me just give you my definition of prosperity. And if you can't stand the word prosperity, stop reading the Bible. But if you can't stand the word prosperity, just replace it with the word abundant provision. Okay, remember one of his names is uh, El Shaddai, which means the God of more than enough. So either he lied about his name, or maybe we need to rethink our thinking on how good he is. Okay, so here's my definition of prosperity. You have no financial debt. Thank you, Jesus. And you have more than enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you. And enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. You have enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Now notice I didn't say every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. I think sometimes they get this crazy teaching where it's like sow a Toyota to reap a Cadillac and all sorts of stuff. It's like, I'm not sure where they're getting this, but here's the picture you need to get is um, prosperity means that you're going to have finances in proportion to your assignment. So if you're a farmer in Uganda, it's going to look a whole lot different than someone who's called to reach the Hollywood elite. If you're Joseph in prison, it doesn't mean that you're going to have the finest chariot and the palace on the hill. It means you're going to have the favor and the, the networking and the strategies and the, and the wisdom to excel in whatever environment God puts you in. Think of yourself as a hose. If God can get money through you, he'll get money to you and there'll be plenty left over for you. As the inside of a hose gets wet. Listen, guys, if you will begin to trust God with your finances, he will take better care of you on accident than you can take care of yourself on purpose. And I've got some real good news for you. Remember, he said his name was El Shaddai, not El Chipo. (laughs) God does not mind meeting your needs in style. He just doesn't want you getting your heart set on the style. So it becomes the pursuit of your life. So I grew up in the Assemblies of God. It's one of the great uh, mission organizations on the planet, maybe the best. I just, we, we love it. And we would hear stories like this. Maybe you guys have heard stories, something like this, where there's a missionary family, and they've got no money. They're out in the mission field. They've got no food. But they would set the table by faith, and they would hold hands as a family, and they would pray. And all of a sudden, there'd be a knock on the door. And they would go and answer the door, and there'd be a family holding you know, a week's worth of groceries for them. So how many of you guys have ever heard a story like that? I mean, we love those stories. I, know, I want to hear more of those stories. We need to hear those breakthrough stories. But here's what I want to see happen in this church, is we have a church full of people like this who are the ones holding the groceries, providing the answer to somebody's needs. The poorest way to help the poor is to be poor. I'll just let that one sink in there a little bit there. So here's what happens. When you begin teaching on finances, people kind of get triggered because there's been, there's been bad teaching on finances in the past, right? There's been bad teaching on finances in the church, but there's also been bad teaching on heaven, and I still plan on going there. Okay, and so the two errors, they typically show up in one of two ways. One of the um, errors says something like this. Uh, it's good to be poor. You know, it keeps you humble, you know, and all those type of things. Listen, the enemy has a plan for you. And if he can keep you sick and poor, he's going to severely limit your destiny. So if you look at what he tries to do, you know, um, you know God uses sickness in order to make you more like Jesus. Uh, no, Jesus wasn't sick. How sickness making you more like Jesus? And so this religious thing comes on you and gets you to think that, you know, suffering is good. Um, suffering for the gospel, meaning I'm a bright light in a dark place and I'm being persecuted, that's inevitable. But suffering uh, physical sickness and all this, guys, we, that was redeemed. That was part of the curse. That's, that's, that's done. It's, remember, it's called good news. <laughs> okay? But then there's this whole thing about, um, 
you know, about, about being poor. And so if you look at the last 30 years in, in the church, the two doctrines that have been fought against the hardest are healing and, fi- uh, healing and finances, prosperity, that health and wealth gospel. People say it with a sneer in their voice. And so, um, so the, the first idea that, that one of the errors that we got to get past is this idea that poverty is a spiritual value. It's, it's good for you to be poor. It, it keeps you dependent on Jesus, Right. And so let me just, if you believe that, let me just ask you a couple questions here. If poverty is so spiritual, why does the Bible tell us to give to the poor? Wouldn't that just ruin their spirituality? Again, the poorest way to help the poor is to be poor. In the Bible, we're called to be stewards. You know what that means? You're going to have to have something to steward. <laughs> and here's what happens in the kingdom. When anything that gets stewarded multiplies and increases. Oops. If poverty is from God, why does the Bible say that the Lord blessed Isaac so that he became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy? It didn't say the devil made him wealthy so that he would backslide. It said God made him richer. If poverty is so spiritual, why are we told to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Guys, there's no poverty in heaven. There's never a recession. There's no 30,000-year mortgages on the mansions. God has abundance, the enemy has a budget. All right, we'll just keep going here. <laughs> I'm just going to do this for about another 30 minutes, all right? So we'll just stick it done. If money's so bad for us, why doesn't Satan just pour money on Christians and watch them backslide into hell? If money's so bad, why does Satan take it away from Job? Why, at the end of the book of Job, did God reward Job with a double portion? Have you guys ever realized that God actually raised all 10 of Job's kids from the dead? You guys never saw that part in there? Let me find it in my notes here. It's interesting. Uh, chapter 1, he gives real specifics about Job's, uh, Job's wealth. Jesus, help me find this or I'm going to look like a complete fool up here. Which is nothing new, it's just avoidable sometimes. Jesus, Jesus. Or I could just leave you with that statement and move on here. So at the beginning of the book of Job, here's what you got. He says, uh, we're going to wing it here. He gives, I'm reading in chapter 1, and he's got very specific things that he says. And so he says that he's got 500 sheep. And then in chapter 42, it says that God restored everything that he lost and gave him double. Now it says he had 1,000 sheep. 500 to 1,000, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm like, why is he giving these specific numbers? And it's like 7,000 of this, and it goes to 14,000. 5,000 of this, it goes to 10,000. Then it says Job had seven sons and three daughters, okay? So you guys know the story. And so Job starts off with all this wealth. All of it gets wiped out. And then in chapter 2, it says God restored everything that was lost and gave him double. And then he begins naming everything. It used to be this, now it's this. And then it says God gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters, Zero plus 10 isn't double. Listen, if you lose all your kids and God gives you 10 more, you don't have anything restored. And it's definitely not double if you only get 10 more. The only way it could be restored is if God restored those kids to life and gave them double. That's why he gives you the math in the whole chapters. Isn't that amazing? So what if you had a Job experience today? You're like, hold on, I don't know about that. Listen, um, if you're not healed, you're not having a Job experience. Satan made him sick, God made him well. 
If you're not having everything that you lost restored and made double, then you're not having a Job experience. And so I was, uh, I was showering one day. If that's too much of a picture, I shower in a full wetsuit, if that helps you. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm there, and I had this thought come. Like, I, I felt like the Lord's like, where did Job get the faith to... Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, where did Abraham get the faith to raise Isaac from the dead? Remember that story in Hebrews 11 where it said, um, you know, jo- uh, Isaac's getting, Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he believed that if he killed him, God could raise him from the dead. And I felt like the Lord said, where did Abraham get that faith? And you know when God asks you a question, it means you don't know the answer. So I'm like... Lord, you know, you know, one of those, like trying to be spiritual, you know, and I felt like, I felt like he said, because you guys know the story of Job actually took place before the story of Abraham. I felt like the Lord said, Abraham got the faith from the story of Job. I can't prove it. You can't prove me wrong, but it's the least interesting thing. <laughs> I'm, guys, it's in there in every translation. The only way everything could be restored and made doubles if he got 10 more kids. I mean, he says seven sons, three daughters in each one. Isn't that Awesome. What if God's way better than we thought? Matthew six thirty three. he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Oh man, religion loves the person who seeks first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Now, who does that person think they are? I think they're getting a little selfish. Why is the good man the one who leaves an inheritance to his children's children? So the first error is saying that poverty is spiritual. It's good to be poor. And we can just see that's just, it's not even a biblical thought. It's just insanity. But here's the second error. It says that your spirituality is measured by the size of your house or how nice of a car you drive or the size of your bank account. Listen, material possessions are not a sign of God's blessing unless they are. There's many places in scripture where people's wealth was directly tied to the hand of blessing of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Solomon, just, uh, just throughout scripture. And so being broke isn't necessarily spiritual and being wealthy doesn't necessarily mean you're godly. Just ask the mafia. You can't judge another man's harvest if you don't know what seed they planted. So it's not your job to be figuring out who is spending too much money. Guys, it's none of your business. It's between them and God. You know how much money is too much money? Whatever amount replaces trust in God. So here's the deal with money. Money is to the natural realm what the anointing is to the spiritual realm. It's simply a way to get things done. Money is a tool. Your net worth and your self-worth have nothing to do with each other. How valuable you are to God, how awesome of a Christian you are, it has nothing to do with your net worth. It has everything to do with how faithful are you with what you have. And I believe God's will for you is that you have more than enough finances to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. You're going to be rewarded in heaven based on what you did with your assignment, not what you did with Bill Johnson or Billy Graham's assignment. Okay? They're going to be rewarded with the faithfulness for what they carried. Okay, that's, that's good news for me. I don't know about you guys. So money is just a tool to accomplish purpose. It's like a shovel. Like nobody's bragging about their shovel collection. No one's having you over their house and like, yeah, the Lord's been so good to us. You know, we've been faithful. We've been tithing. You know, this is a blessing from the Lord. But yeah, we've got these uh, five shovels and this one, you know, it's a custom paint job on it. Yeah, it's pretty nice there. And the kids bedazzled the handle of this one. You know, it's, it's kind of means a lot to us. And this one's got a platinum hand. No, no one's bragging about their shovels because it's a tool to get things done. We've got to get a kingdom perspective. Finances is simply a tool to get things done, not something to puff up our chest and make us feel important. 2 Corinthians 9.8. Um, what I'm about to read to you is such good news, and I want you to get this. If it's not true, John 3.16 is not true. 
Okay, are you guys are you prepared for extreme? Like I don't like the warning labels on medications. Like those are just getting out of control. Some of those warning things. But why isn't there ever like a warning label that's like caution, extreme awesomeness? Like if you take this, you know, like I'm waiting for like those positive side effects on some of those medications. The scripture I'm about to read you: warning, extreme awesomeness. The context of this is finances. Second Corinthians chapter eight, chapter nine. It's all about finances. Okay. So here's it go. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. He calls it a grace, which means Jesus paid for it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's what that means. God wants your finances to grow to the point where if there's ever a need that comes across your path and your heart is moved to meet it, you've got a stream of income to be able to fill that need. You're like, Jim, I don't know. I don't believe that. Well, thank you for admitting your unbelief. You're going to have to get rid of that before you get very far in the kingdom. Ooh. (laughs) It felt like Columbus in here for a second on that one. Man. Yeah, it was negative eight degrees like four days ago without wind chill. So I heard some people complaining about it being 50. I'm like, that's like 60 degrees warmer than when we were. So, yeah. So here's the thing is when it comes to finances, I think one of the biggest problems we have as Christians is we don't want to be selfish. You know, we want to do finances in the right way. There's not, no one in this room that wants to get wealthy without God and do that. Like, but here's the problem is we think it's selfish. Prosperity is not selfish because it's not all about you. Real prosperity is defined by how much we give away, not how much we keep for ourselves. Okay, so prosperity is about blessing, not possessing. So can I just flip this thing around and tell you the truth? I feel like we're friends by now. Are we okay? It's selfish for you to not desire prosperity. What if prosperity isn't optional? What if being blessed is required as a Christian? Listen, if God only provides for your needs, the world will lack a revelation of an abundant father. They're never going to know what dad's really like. And so we see this prayer in Psalm 67, 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is kind of sounding like revival to me. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. People lack an awareness of what God is really like. They, you, know, you couldn't fit all of the Bay Area into this church. So God has this plan. Instead of come and see, go and show. And he says, pray this prayer. God, put your hand of blessing on my life so people will know what you're like. Do you see the change in motivation? God, prosper me so that they'll know how wonderful you really are. And listen, and prosperity is not just measured by dollars. Dollars are a byproduct of God's presence in your life and in his goodness and you using your power to create all the things we talked about this weekend. It's measured in more things than that. It's measured in your kids actually wanting to spend time with you even though they're old enough to not have to. It's when people look at your life and like your marriage just works. I was just talking to a friend and he said that there was these new agers in the Bay Area here and they were asking him, they're like, man, we see your aura, what is that? And uh, he said, it's Jesus. And they said, we knew it. He has the brightest light. And he's like, well, why don't you turn your life over to him? And I said, we don't want to serve anyone else. And so, well, at least they're honest here. What's that? That's prosperity. I love how, I love how 3 John 2 puts it. May you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. How much do you think God wants your soul to prosper? Just a little bit. Maybe just like get emo- emotional neutral. So you don't have any highs and no, no, joy unspeakable, full of like, like he wants your soul to be prospering. He says, yeah, that's what I want your health. And that's what I, your finances to be like too. He says, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Even that's the new covenant in one verse. 
Soul prosperity, physical prosperity, financial prosperity. That's good news, I'm telling you what. I don't know, Jim, this sounds like a bless me club to me. Well, Jesus didn't die for a curse me club. And just let me ask you this, what's the problem if it is a bless me club? Because when Christians get blessed, we become a bigger blessing. It's part of our ancient Jewish heritage, blessed to be a blessing. Well, Jim, I just want enough to provide for me and my family. Oh, wow, that is so stupid. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Because that's the spirit of religion and the spirit of poverty, getting married and having a child together. Let me translate that for you. Well, my needs are met. Who gives a rip about the rest of the world? But religion disguises it as so humble. I I don't want too much. I want too much. Because if I have just enough, I can only take care of me. I've got a heart to reach a whole city. Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of England, she said this, no one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Ready for this revelation? I sat on the top of a mountain for 40 days to get this one. No, I didn't. Are you ready for this one? You cannot be a big giver if you don't have a big abundance. Hashtag duh. (laughs) Prosperity is about having more than enough, not just for yourself, but so that you can be a blessing to others. Well, Jim, I don't know. Money can't buy happiness. Well, neither can poverty. (laughs) The people who say money can't buy happiness, they just simply haven't given enough of it away. I don't know about you. I've seen money buy happiness over and over and over for people. I've seen it spread the gospel. I've seen it feed the poor. I've seen it rescue girls coming out of human trafficking. I've seen it plant churches and hospitals and dig wells and shelter the homeless and build churches that are equipping centers and enjoy the blessings of God with God. You know, it's actually spiritual to take your family on vacation. There's one of the three tithes in the Old Testament. One, one, one tithe went to the church. There was one every three years that went to the poor. And there was one where they took and they went and uh, it was basically went to a conference. They went and celebrated a spiritual festival. They ate the best meats. They, uh, they, they drank the best drinks. And they enjoyed the blessings of God with God. Like, ah, that was the Old Testament. Well, here's what it says in the New Testament. He's writing to wealthy people, and he says, I've given you all things richly to enjoy. Just don't put your trust in riches. Don't get prideful. He gives them some warnings on these things. But I want you to see, part of your stewardship is to enjoy God's goodness with God. And anytime you obey God and he rewards you, that's, it, says, um, uh, it says God makes a man rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So anytime you are partnering with God, you're obeying God, and he blesses you and rewards you, you you can enjoy it. It's cause for a testimony. It sets up a precedent for your children to see what he's really like. Listen, gang, you owe it to your kids for them to see how good God is. Here's what I love about churches like this is uh, 92% of kids, once they hit 18, who were raised in the church, don't go to church anymore. And then they start going again when they're like in their 20s, they start having kids and they want to pass on the principles. The 8% that to actually stick, here's the one thing. They saw God answer prayer. Okay, I mean, I, I, see, you probably get the same criticism we get. People are like, oh, you're going after experiences. You know, yeah, yeah we are. Are you kidding me? You think we just want to have some theory and debate? And like, no, no, no. Like, are you talking about subjective experiences? Yes. The more subjective, the better. My kids need to know the reality of God, not the theory of the, you know, Santa Claus. So I just say, don't be ashamed of what you're going after. If someone's like, are you, you're going to one of those churches that you know, goes after healing, you're not? Are you kidding me? 
How, how are you surviving without the real power of God? Are you crazy? No one's good enough speaker for me to go to without the power of God. I'm going to give you some principles to live by. Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. Sorry, I just feel better now. Well, Jam, that's great. I appreciate those one-liners and everything, but Jesus was poor, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. Was Jesus really poor? Let's look at that here. So if you remember, at his birth, the Magi brought expensive gifts to Jesus. Who were the Magi? They were the kingmakers of the day. They were trained in the Persian court by a man named Daniel centuries before, and they were trained to look for a sign in the heavens that would point to them when there was a greater king. So the, the uh, king of Persia was known as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. But then these Magi, they were the new agers of the day, they were trained and they saw this sign in the heavens and they traveled 1,500 miles now, these guys wouldn't, I, here's how religion has this picture painted. You know, you've seen the Christmas cards. You got these three guys in tattered robes and paper hats. I got on some baggy sweatpants and a Beavis and Butthead t-shirt with some mustard stains on it. And they approached to Jesus. They're worn out. They're, they're, they're emaciated. And here, Jesus, I got this little gold nugget wrapped in tinfoil. Here you go, master. I like, try not to lose that thing. It's so small. And then... The other ones are searching through their pockets, you know. Here's an economy size, a spritzer, the frankincense, and myrrh. Use it sparingly, king. Like we're picturing these guys coming with like a baby rat on a diaper genie to a king, right? Here's what the Bible says. It says, when Herod the king heard that the Magi from the east had come to Jerusalem, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why? The kingmakers of the day were coming, and here's what they came with, Matthew 2.11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Why did they worship him? They found a greater king. This is what they've been trained for for centuries. Then they opened their treasure chests, plural, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were the kingmakers who they would have, the reason King, uh, the, uh, King Herod was so deeply disturbed, they would have traveled with bodyguards and droves of people to protect their... Tra- I mean, just a uh, 12 inch by 12 inch thing of gold would have been worth several millions of dollars if it was just that small. I got the calculations in my book. Joseph and Mary received so much money that they were able to flee to Egypt for three years and not have to work. Jesus became such a successful businessman, he became known as the carpenter of Nazareth. I just want you to get that. People are like, ah, oh, Jesus was homeless. I'm like, really? The carpenter of Nazareth? He's like sleeping on the street with his tools? And like, what's happening there? <laughs> Jesus had so much money that he had a treasurer. Are you ready for this heavy revy, heavy revelation? You guys ready for this? If you have a treasurer, you have treasures! <laughs> Hashtag duh again. Jesus had so much money that he was an outrageous giver as a lifestyle. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus comes and whispers something in Judas' ear. Judas gets up and leaves. The disciples go, oh, there's Judas going away to give more money to the poor in the middle of the night. Such a regular thing for him. He had so much money that no one knew that Judas was skimming off the top, only Jesus, and that was through supernatural word of knowledge. Jesus was so prosperous that he supported 12 teenage boys for three years of ministry. Do you know how much they eat? And at the end of his life, they gambled over his robe. Why? Probably because it was nice. I'm not saying he was some hot shot evangelist with a bunch of bling. What I am saying is that Jesus had uh, more than enough money to fulfill every divine assignment God had for him. And enough money left over to help others fulfill theirs. Here's the key to the whole thing. Uh, if you turn with me to uh, turn with your iPhones to Matthew chapter 6. 
I believe this is the number one reason why Christians aren't prospering more is because of the spirit of mammon on their heart. When I say spirit, I'm not picturing a demon twisted around your brain. I'm picturing it more in like the Ephesians 4, which says, be made new in the spirit of your mind. Okay, so it's the attitude, it's the outlook, it's the lens that we have. So here it is, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is Jesus right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he just drops this on his disciples. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some of your Bible translations say money. If you look at the little footnote, it'll say mammon. So the question is, what is mammon? And so mammon was the demon god of Syria whose name meant the power of riches. So here's the picture. Jesus is saying, listen, you can either serve God or you can serve the spirit of mammon. Here's what mammon does. It tries to get you to look to money the way you're supposed to look to God. Here's an example. So if you begin to feel more secure when you've got more money in the bank account, that's the spirit of mammon because you're supposed to get your security from God, not from money. See what I'm saying? If you begin to look to money. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a little fun exercise with this. I'm going to read some popular Bible verses, but look at it, what happens when the spirit of mammon gets hold of them. You guys ready for this? Where does my help come from? My help comes from money. Money is my shepherd. When I have it, I shall not be in want. Money gives me the peace that passes understanding. My people perish for a lack of money. My money shall supply all my needs. A day in the mall is better than thousands elsewhere. (laughs) Here's the great deception behind mammon. It says this, listen, God takes care of those super saints, but we all know you're not one of those super saints, so you need to worry about money. You need to think about money. You need to spend a lot of time and angst over money. Here's the truth, gang. You don't need more money. You need to know God better. If you had more money and still had the spirit of mammon, it doesn't matter because it will never be enough. So what does it look like to serve or worship mammon? The next verse, Matthew 6, 25, Jesus continues, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Anxiety and worship are to the spirit of... I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Anxiety and worry are to the spirit of mammon what praise and worship are to the one true God. The way that you worship the spirit of mammon is by freaking out and getting anxious over money. Can you see why we need to break this thing? Fear is faith in the devil. Worry is a form of atheism because you're imagining your future without God. Faith is imagining your future with God in it. I've got some super good news for you. God's already in your future, so you don't need to worry about it. He'll be there when you get there. I promise. I promise. Here's the truth, gang. God's supernatural cannot flow into fear and worry. It's it's like pulling up an umbrella, and he's trying to rain his blessings on you, but it just just repels. So a lot of people, they're tithing, they're giving, they're wondering why it's not working. It's because we've got to break this thing off our heart. And once it's off our heart, all of God's intentions can begin to flow into your life. You don't need more money. You need more relationship with the source. How many of you guys remember the Old Testament prophets? Just how rough they had it, some of these guys. It's like, man, I'm reading this thing. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. Isaiah walked around naked for three years. Buck naked. Like, I don't even take my shirt off at the pool anymore. I mean, it's like it's gotten to that point. Uh, someone tried to give us a lawsuit from the glare spots were causing retinal damage off of people. I'm just like, whatever, you know. I tell people, you know, you don't get a body like this overnight. It takes years of neglect. <laughs> the only way you can tell the difference between my chest and my back is the presence of two nipples. They're like both straight. I'll stop. I'll stop. 
Hosea married a prostitute named Gomer. I'm like, dude, her name was Gomer. That should have been a clue that things are about to go terribly wrong. (laughs) Ezekiel had to cook his food over his own dung. Seriously? Like, when I'm in junior high, that's hilarious. But now, at my age, that's nasty. That's nasty. So Elijah. So God's like, Elijah, I want you to prophesy a famine. He's like, I'm an Old Testament prophet. We love prophesying famines. In the land that you're living in. He's like, are you serious? Man, can we do like the uh, Jebusites, the parasites, the termites, the cellulites? Like all those people. Like, can we, can we prophesy over them? In the land that you're living in, Elijah. So Elijah does, he prophesies it, and God has this sweet thing. He says, go down to the brook Cherith, you're going to have water. The ravens are going to be a special delivery service. It'll be amazing. Everything's going great until the brook dries up. What do most Christians do when the brook dries up? They start freaking out. Oh, this tithing thing's not working. The preacher lied. Where's God and all this stuff? Anytime the, a channel of provision change in Elijah's life, here's the very next verse, ready? And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. If your resource of provision is changing, if your brook is dried up, you need to get the word of the Lord. So I just, um, so here's what I want you to get here. Do not confuse the source with the resource. Your source of provision will never change. Your resource of provision is going to change many times throughout your life. And when you, I'm going to keep teaching this thing, but when you fully understand this, you could walk into your office on Monday. Your boss could hand you a pink slip and your blood pressure wouldn't even increase because you know nobody can take better care of me than dad. Oh, my resource has changed? That's okay. My source has not changed. People who worry about finances simply have not heard the good news. You have entered into a realm that is governed by a father whose thoughts towards you outnumber the sands and the seashore, and they're all to prosper you and not to harm you. He's thinking nonstop good thoughts about you. He's got all these plans and just waiting for us to wake up to the reality of it and begin to partner with what he's like. So God says, Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. It's your new resource of provision. I want you to find a widow there. Elijah's like, widow, like, Lord, is, is that like the last name of like a Boaz type person? Like, like a person of means? No, Elijah, she's a widow. Lord, did you say window? Like, like, like a window of blessing in Zarephath? No, Elijah, she's a widow. So you need to understand, there wasn't like a lot of, uh, you know, female entrepreneurs on Shark Tank back in the ancient Near East. Their, their resource of provision was their husband. And that had died. And so he's like, all right. So he goes there and it says he sees this uh, lady forging through the rubble, trying to get enough sticks to start a fire. How many you know that's a bad sign in your new resource of provision? Where she can't even forge sticks for a fire. So Elijah sees her and he's like, hey, lady, uh, can, you, uh, can you make me something to eat? She says, listen, it's a bad time right now. I got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. We're going to make one final cake for my son and I. And then we're going to eat it and die. Like, that's not the mighty faith declaration you want to hear out of your new resource of provision. So at this point in the story, I'm like, okay, Elijah, why don't you take up an offering for this lady? You know, find some people, a means in the city, you do something for her. Remember the story, Elijah does take up an offering for himself. Remember this? What does he tell the lady? Bake me a cake as fast as you can. That's what he says. (laughs) Bake me the cake, bring it to me that I might eat of it. And so, I mean, guys, these Old Testament prophets had some gods. I mean, can't you just see the San Francisco newspaper? Prophet of God takes last meal from widow. Let me ask you this. Why is Elijah doing this? Okay, guys, the preacher is not after, 99.999% of the preachers are not after your money. Okay, Elijah was not after her money. God was not after her money. Here's what, he, here's what uh, Elijah knew. The spirit of mammon had gripped her heart and told her, your life is dependent on the flour and oil and what's in your hand. And he knew if he could get her eyes off of the resource and onto the source, that supernatural provision would flow into her life. 
Guys, this story is pulling back the curtain on the kingdom of God and saying, this is how it works. As long as you're trying to, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's scriptural. Okay? If we can get our eyes off of, oh, how am I going to make this happen? And if I can manipulate myself to get a raise, and if I can get this and get it. Guys, listen, God will, take, God will open doors for you. I'm not saying don't work hard, don't network, all those type of things. What I'm saying is you're not counting on your ability, you're counting on his ability. We do what we do in the natural, and he does the supernatural. So I'm not saying we're going to sit in the couch all fat and sassy and just wait for checks to fly into our mailbox. Anyone who's read the book, The Secret, that's not how it works. I mean, I like the idea of positive thinking, but the secret, that ain't the kingdom, gang. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't read it. (laughs) Boy, that felt good. Mammon puts a deep fear in your heart that God's not going to take care of you. You're not special enough, so you need to spend a lot of time and energy pursuing more money. Here's what the Bible says. It says, unless you become like little children... You're not going to be able to move in the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to enter into that kind of life of his presence and power where God, here's what the kingdom's like, guys. It's a lot like power steering. I act and he acts with me. And the results are greater than what I could do in my own strength. I mean, you see it throughout. It's like, Moses, stretch out your rod. He acted and then the results were a whole lot bigger. The Red Sea parted. And so as God's telling you to do things in the workplace, you act and the results are so much disproportionate to that action because he's on it and you did it out of obedience. See, uh, become like little children, he says. And so, you know, if you've ever seen a little child, there's one sleeping right there and some adults. No, I'm just kidding. There's no adults sleeping. Have you ever seen a little child is sleeping in their, in their parents' lap? They're not worried about, like, oh, what's going on with North Korea? Like, should we have invested in Bitcoin? Are these prices, are these houses ever going to, like, they're not worried about all that stuff. They're just resting in their parents' arms, and they just know food somehow comes. Right? What does Jesus say? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor store in barns. It's not their great performance that they get the provision. It's because their Heavenly Father loves them. You don't have to be amazing with your giving and all this for God to provide for you. He's going to provide for you because he loves you more than birds. Now, if you want to prosper, you're going to have to learn how to you know, open up the windows of heaven with your generosity, how to steward things on earth through investing and all those type of things. But he's not going to let you starve because he loves you. You've never seen a Christian starve to death and you never will. Let me give you one last picture, then we're going to close this thing out. So... Um, in our, you know, I'm sure you've seen this in churches that you know, there's a line of people who need healing and there's people who are doing the healing prayer. And sometimes I've been uh, on, the, on the prayer line side of it, you know, giving the prayer, and it's like, I've, you know, it's like 30 people left and I'm the only one praying. I'm just going to be honest, that's a long day. I mean, <laughs> just, I'm just being honest. It's just like, oh boy, help me, Jesus. And so um, here's what I've never had this thought. I've never been praying and thought, oh no, what if the healing anointing runs out on this person? You know why I've never thought that? Because I'm super aware that I'm not the source of healing anointing. That it is coming from another dimension. But there's times that I get deceived and I begin to think, what happens if I give this check? I'm not talking about just giving foolishly, okay? But I'm talking about like I've decided in my heart this is what I'm going to give or I feel leading from the Holy Spirit. I give that check and it's like, oh no, what if the money runs out? So I'm still needing that level of revelation that God, I'm tapped into another realm, And what I do on this realm actually affects that realm. 
I got a friend uh, named Roger. He uh, very modest salary as a pastor. He ended up becoming a multimillionaire through uh, different kinds of investing. Just a very humble guy. And he was telling me about, actually, I was listening to him teach this on a CD. And uh, he made this statement. Um, yeah, I'm a millionaire. I've got over a million dollars in the bank. And I can't wait for God to ask me to give it all away again. I'll have more stories. That's a guy who's free. I don't believe that God asks very many people to give away everything. I believe there will be some people who have a gift of giving that uh, God may do that so that they recognize that God's their source. Okay? So I don't think that's for the majority of people. So don't hear what I'm not saying here. I want you to hear the freedom of being able to say, Oh, give me a, it's easy if you got a hundred bucks in the bank, give away everything. Like it's not that big of a deal. Okay. I've been broke before we've given it all away. It's not the big a deal, but when the bank account is getting a little bigger, I, I want that level of freedom. I'm challenged by that. Here's what I want to do. I want to give us a chance to break that spirit of mammon off our hearts. And so if you guys could stand to your feet and take out your wallets. Just kidding. Kidding. I'm teasing. If you will sow this seed into my ministry, you're all going to have new houses. Yeah. Kidding. That was sarcasm in case the language barrier is, is not okay. Here's what I want to do, though. There's this really powerful verse in 1 Peter 5, 7, where um, it says, cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. Okay, so we're going to do this exercise here, and it may seem a little bit weird, but you're in the Convergence House of Prayer. Okay, let's just be honest. We, we go for it here a little more, all right? So, and so the Bible has something called prophetic acts. And so we, we call them prophetic acts. And so what that is, is when you do something in the natural, it releases something in the spiritual. I mean, you see it in, in baptism. It's like, it's just water, but there's actually a cutting away of the sin nature. You know, you, you, you see in different places of scriptures. Here what we're going to do is I'm going to have you talk to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to ask him this question. God, what am I worrying about that I don't need to worry about? You're going to see that, that spirit of mammon. You're like, what, what is it I'm on? And we're going to take that thing, and we're going to turn it into a little ball here. Can you guys see it? You're taking your worries. You're going to crunch them. Down. No one's going to have a big ball. They're all little. But then we're going to count to three, and we're going to say some prayers, and we're going to throw that thing away. We're going to cast it on Jesus. And you're thinking, what if I look weird? Just close your eyes. Everyone else is doing it too, okay? And so what makes it powerful is when we do it as an act of faith, not just, okay, I'll, you know. And no girl throws. Either. I don't even know what that means. I, that, yeah, okay. Like, like, chuck that thing, man. Cast that thing out of there. And then we're going to make some declaration. We're going to renounce the spirit of mammon off our hearts. We're going to break this thing. God, I'm done trusting in money. Okay, so just take, a, take 30 seconds with the Holy Spirit. And God, just show me those areas where I have anxiety and I have worry. Because I know fear is faith in the devil. That's just, I, I'm done with mammon. So just between you and him, let him show you those areas right now. And then we're going to get rid of those things. All right, just keep your eyes closed so you're not self-conscious of anyone else. But I want you to take those worries and just symbolically crunch them down into a ball. And let's just pray this prayer. Jesus, I am done with mammon. 
I renounce my agreement with trusting in money. I declare the truth that no one can take better care of me than dad. You are my source. (laughs) You are my redeemer. And you'll get me out of any financial pit that I'm in. Your heart for me is to leave an inheritance to my children's children's children. And if you want to add a couple extra children's children in there, just be free to do that, all right? Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you. Lord, I just pray that there would be a spiritual severing today where we just recognize we are done with this thing. And when it tries to creep on, now we're going to recognize it. Our friends are going to help us recognize it. Our spouses, our kids are going to help us recognize this thing. But we are done with it. And Lord, I just, I just thank you that, God, when we, are, when we rebuke, when we renounce the spirit of mammon, that heaven's blessings that have been there the whole time can begin to reign in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you're going to reign in revelation, ideas, strategies, partnerships. And Lord, that this is going to be the place that you've called it to be. They're going to be the families that they're called to be. They're going to leave the dynasties that they're called to be. Lord, I just thank you for a spiritual shift, not only in this church, but in this region because of what's happening here today. So in the count of three, we are going to cast our cares upon him. You can't carry it, guys. Your your ulcers are proof. You're done with this thing. So in the count of three, we're just going to say in the name of Jesus and throw these things. One, two, three. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? Before I turn it over to Pastor Greg, just say these things after me. These are all scriptures, basically. In every area of my life, I live in abundance. I am blessed, and I am a blessing. Blessings come upon me and overtake me. That's actually a scripture. Have you ever uh, been driving in your car and a big truck passes you and it kind of swoops you? That's That's the feeling of being overtaken. God says his blessings will come upon you and Jesus Christ alone is the God of my financial breakthrough. No weapon formed against me. My finances or my possessions will prosper. I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. I am a blessing magnet. The blessing of the Lord makes me rich and adds no sorrow to it. All my debt is paid in full. In Jesus' name, I have the power to create wealth to establish his covenant on earth. I am a conduit for what God wants to do in the Bay Area. Bless you guys. All right, we're going to take an offering. We just do this all the time. So if you guys be seated. And then during the offering, Mary has some words for, uh, for Convergence that she wants to share over, over us. And so we just thought that would be a good time to do that. So you guys get ready. If you guys uh, have checks, writing checks, if you still write checks, uh, make them out to Convergence House of Prayer. This, this, this goes to bless uh, the bakers. The younger Jim Baker, you know. Anyway. 
Uh, gentlemen, would you come forward? Let's receive the offering. Uh, if you have PushPay, uh, you know, the app, just go to, and then you can just do offering, you know, memo it offering. So let's just bless them really good. Did you guys enjoy that? That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, man. So good. So good. And I know that they didn't say much, but what's your website? Uh, wealthwithgod.com. Wealthwithgod.com. There's resources that, uh, that Jim has just been working on and it's available. There's some free resources as well on their wealthwithgod.com. So make sure that you guys jump on that. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, God, that it's stirring our heart. Lord, we just receive every, every good thing from you. And we just make those declarations over and over again. We thank you. Bless this offering in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you guys, would you guys give uh, Mary a hand as she comes up and she just has a so You guys can just come on. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. What a fun place. It feels like home. So that's awesome. And I just wanted to say we've spent a lot of time with Caitlin and just want to say thank you for driving us around everywhere. And <laughs> Caitlin's awesome. Yes, give her a hand. And of course, your pastors are amazing. They're the same behind the scenes that they are in front of you. That's refreshing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right, well, I don't think I'm going to tell you guys anything that you don't already know. I'm, uh, this is just what I ask the Lord when we go places. God, just tell me about this church in Fremont. Um, and so if, if you feel like, man, this is a terrible word, then just don't partner with it. <laughs> I like to give that disclaimer. Man, you guys are really serious. Jim, what did you do to them? I'm getting nervous. Okay, so just going to read. I'm going to try over here <laughs> to you guys. So I see your face to smile. Helps me. Okay, so um, what I heard over you guys' church is that you're an endeavoring church. And I asked the Lord what that meant, and he said it means that they're equipped with everything they need to go higher in kingdom endeavors. And so I just see a lot of endeavors. Um, you know, Jim and I were talking about this morning, and he's like, yeah, I just, I feel like that's like they're, they're going on adventures, you guys are going on adventures with Jesus, and I think they're going to be really big endeavors, and it's going to really change the atmosphere of your city. So that's super exciting, you God. And the verse that you guys are to hold on to is, do you know that verse, um, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, right? And we all know the old song too, right? <laughs> you don't have to sing it, Jordan. Um, so I just, I want to read it really quick in the, I think I've got it here in the Passion Translation. I'm going to read. So this is Psalm 42. This is verse 1 and 2. Does anybody read the Passion Translation Bible? It's pretty awesome. So this is, this is what it says. I long to drink of you, O God, drinking deeply from the streams of pleasure flowing from your presence. My longings overwhelm me for more of you. My soul thirsts, pants, and longs for the living God. I want to come and see the face of God. And um, this is what God says, that, that you guys are ones who pant for him. You're ones who, who pant for him and his will to be done. And he just says he blesses the work of your hands. 
And you guys are ones that when you get weary, you know how to come and take a drink of him. You drink him in. And, uh, and when you drink him in, you're changed into his likeness. And so that's why it's good to hold on to that verse. Because when you're feeling weary, especially getting ready to go after some endeavors as a church, but also as, as individuals, because God's really waking some things up in you guys. And um, just some gifts that have been stirring inside that maybe have been a little bit dormant are starting to wake up. And God's like, hey, it's time to exercise those gifts and activate them. So you guys have said yes quite a few times this weekend and probably over the years of you coming here. But I just want you to stand up for one second because it, stand up. So it's one thing to say yes, but it's another thing to actually uh, take a step forward. And I know you don't have a lot of room in front of you, but we're, even if it's just a baby step, just as a prophetic act, you've said yes, but I feel like this is the season where you're actually going to step into that yes. And so on the count of three, we're just going to take a step forward, even if it's just a baby step. You front row people, I mean, you can take giant ones of you. All right, one, two, three. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you can sit back down if you want. So one thing I was thinking about as you come and take a drink from the streams of the Lord, you know, when you, when you look at a stream, what do you see? You see a reflection of yourself, right? And so, you know, the verse was talking about like you're changed into, into, you see God, you're changed into his likeness. When you, when you look in the mirror, you should be looking um, like Jesus, right? The more you are coming into him, the more you're drinking from him, you are actually seeing the reflection of your face and his face in one, right? So that's good news. Um, what else I have is, I don't normally like talk this long. Is this okay? <laughs> Um, don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit is here and it's coming. So it's here right now and it's coming. And this wind is here to put fresh wind in your sails. It's here to to shove you into the new day and the next endeavors. Because we got to be shoved into that, that new day by his spirit. It's really going to catapult us. Um, I also heard this house is an incubator for songs and song lyrics. Um, and your sound is emerging, not just in song, but as a people who bring kingdom advancements. And so, so when we say, when we talk about sound, sometimes we automatically go to worship. And yes, that's happening too. You guys are really starting to come into your own. But I'm, t- I'm speaking even your sound as individuals because God created a sound within all of us. And when we even speak, the atmosphere changes. And so, yeah, so we bless you guys in that. Um, and even like during worship this morning, uh, you, guys, you guys are so, so awesome at worshiping God. I just wanna say like, well done. When you were worshiping, it was causing the windows of heaven to open. And I never say this, so if I'm theologically like incorrect, Jim will come and clean my mess up later. <laughs> He's like a walking concordance. But um, 
But what I saw was your praise was opening these windows in heaven and out of the windows were flowing revelation knowledge and it was falling on you guys. And so I just, uh, I just want to declare over you right now that anything that you didn't even know that you got, um, just would, the Lord would show it to you. Like, um, maybe even later, just ask the Holy Spirit, God, during worship, when you were, uh, shoving that stuff out the window, what fell on me? Because I feel like it's going to be some answers, some revelation knowledge that you, you maybe have been waiting for, or maybe you didn't even know you were waiting for it, but he was giving it to you. He was dumping it out because your praise is so powerful. It was opening those windows. That's awesome. Well done. Um, yeah, there's also just an open heaven for encounters and revelation truths with God and his kingdom ideas over this house and, and in this house. So bless you guys. That is it. Thanks for having us. I'm going to close this out with one quick exercise, but I, I had a, just a quick word for you. Um, I heard you guys calling yourself C-Hop, uh, which is probably better than CHOP. And, um, and so, you know, the Columbus House, of, or I'm sorry, Columbus, Convergence House of Prayer. But I hear the Lord also says you're the Convergence House of Presence, Convergence House of Power, Convergence House of Praise, and Convergence House of Prosperity. Don't forget, you guys are that hammer and a chisel, using church to cover out a great people. The last picture I saw, how many of you guys saw the theological movie Kung Fu Panda? It's a powerful, powerful movie. And uh, there was a move that he did to, um, what was it, Tung Lee, or what was the guy's name, Whatever the, the, the first one. And so the, the bad guy, basically, he put this Kung Fu move on him where he got his finger. And if he just twisted a little bit, he said, what did he say? Skadoosh. And um, as I was just worshiping, I saw this church doing a skadoosh on this region, and it just went. <laughs> and so. And after the skadoosh, I heard the words impact and influence, impact and influence, impact and influence. And so I just speak the skadoosh anointing over you. <laughs> everybody could stand. I've never given that word before. That's awesome. Okay, this is going to be different. Stand, and if you could face the back. And take out your wall. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not, okay. okay, you guys ready? Um, I got this exercise from Stephen De Silva. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The river of God is a picture of abundant life, supernatural provision, and prosperity. Everything good you will ever need or desire can be found in it. It runs through the middle of the street, giving everyone full access to it. All you need to do is learn how to get in its flow. So imagine that you're standing in the river, facing downstream, away from the throne. Behind you, God is placing good things in the river for you. Yet because of your position, you remain a spectator, watching good things float past you, just out of reach. Try to envision what some of those good things might be. Now speak this prayer out loud. Father God, I'm standing in the crystal river of heaven. 
that flows from your throne. You fill this river with good things. But because I'm facing downstream, good things flow away from me. They're just beyond my reach. Too hard to catch. Lord Jesus, I want to turn. I want to see your throne. I want to see your provision. I turn around in Jesus' name. Now turn around. Thank you, God, that I'm facing upstream. I can envision the throne of God and the Lamb. Good things are coming to me. The good things are everywhere. There's more than I can contain. There's abundance here for everyone. In Jesus' name. Bless you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I know the ministry teams are coming forward. If you guys uh, would like some extra prayer. If there's anyone here with um, uh, an incurable disease or a uh, terminal illness, I would love to lay my hands on you, especially cancer or something like that. So if you have a terminal, terminal illness or an uh, incurable disease, I mean, the team can pray too. I'd love to just lay my hands on you. So bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.